I'm Pastor Ron, one of the pastors here. I'd like to welcome you as we continue our study through idols and deep idols. I know not necessarily the topic that we want to study, but I am convinced it's the topic the Holy Spirit would have us study right now. Welcome to those that are in the gym watching and those at home watching. And we are um, just glad to be able to worship and study God's Word. I'm going to separate us by age a little bit here. Okay, I know, I know I, I hate doing this, but this is an important thing. How many of you remember He-Man, Masters of the Universe? <laughs> okay, unfortunately that did just separate us by age. <laughs> um, those of you that didn't, you are missing out. Um, it, is, it was um, one of the key cartoons of my childhood. Or teenage years? I don't know if it was childhood or teenage years. But in the in this cartoon, you'd have this setting where um, some bad things would happen, some evil would happen, something unjust would happen, and and He Man was sort of this the wimpy little guy, and um, and he had this little kitty cat, right? If I remember right, or some sort of animal, and at some point he would be like, "I can't stand this anymore. I've got to do something about it," and he would pull out this sword from his back, and hold it up in the air and say. Too many people knew that. By the power of Grayskull, I have the power! And, and then he would transform into um, this guy with more muscles than any guy should have. And um, he'd point it at his kitty cat. It would become this roaring tiger. And then they could go make things right. They could go solve the, the wrong in this world. They could handle whatever was before them and do what needed to be done, so good won and evil lost. Now in many ways, that is a picture of what God does in our world. What God's role is, right? But of course, a a secular cartoon, they can't imagine that. And so what they were tapping into is a desire that we all have to have power, to make things right. A, A feeling we all have that I am right and you are Wrong. You all know that one because we all feel it. And what it's tapping into is a deep lie of Satan that we don't need to trust God's power, that we don't need to seek, seek that outside of ourselves. But if we just had power in and of ourselves, we could make this world right. And so we introduce the first of the deep idols that we're going to talk about. And I think that cartoon introduces it so well, and that's of power. We have four different deep idols that we're talking about in this series on idolatry. But really we're talking about, when we talk about power, the reason that cartoon was so popular is because we all feel powerless sometimes. And we all feel a need and a desire to be right, to achieve, to to do what we want to do in the way we want to do it. And that's the deep idol of power. Now, just to remind us where we've come from, we've been talking about idolatry and we've been trying to put put meat on the bones of what the Holy Spirit meant at the end of 1 John when he said, my children, keep yourselves from idols. And all this, this, this book about, this letter about living for God, he summarized it by saying, keep yourselves from idols. And so we explored what idolatry was. That idolatry is when we put anything above Christ, when we let anything have title to our heart, our hopes, our dreams, our desires. Specifically, we talked about the things we worship 
or, or um, give our devotion to, the things we love and give our heart to, and the things we trust for what we need in life. And if any of those come above Jesus Christ, that's an idol. Martin Luther actually believed that every one of the Ten Commandments came back to the first commandment. And every one of the remaining nine was a violation of the first one to have, to have no other gods, that we should trust God alone. For instance, if I lie, then I am putting something above Jesus. I'm putting something above God, cherishing something that's enough to lie for and, contra- and, and go contrary to God's commands. If I steal, I am cherishing something in my heart more than God and his instruction. If I, if I cheat on my spouse or if I covet my neighbor's wife, I now am looking for something else to provide satisfaction that I don't think God can provide. So every one of those sins comes back to the first commandment, do we put God first? And so we looked at a number of things about idolatry, and then last week we introduced the concept of deep idols. And the idea that all idols come in pairs. You have surface idols that we're used to. That's the things we see, money and sex and, and family and work and all kinds of things. Those are surface idols that we tend to deal with. But as we look at the examples in Scripture and as, as some godly men and women have studied this, there are deeper things that are underneath those. And so we have surface idols that we see that so many times we try to stop the, the problem there, but then deep idols are the roots that stem those things, that, that bring those things to light. And we've talked, we'll, we'll talk about four of them that you see on the, the platform, power and approval and control and comfort. These aren't necessarily the only four, but these are, are the four right now that are being talked a lot about in Christian circles and really explored. Because these then are the root of those sinful choices, the root of those feelings, the root of those actions, the motivation that's under the surface, the sin beneath the sin. You know, we, we've used money as an example, but consider relationships and intimacy for a moment. Some people use intimacy and relationship to feel powerful over others. And that's their only goal. It's meeting that deeper need of power. Some people might use those things to control others and, and to somehow manipulate for what they want. Sometimes those things are perverted and intimacy is perverted because I just want the comfort I need when I need it. I want pleasure in life. doesn't matter what the other person feels and doesn't matter what kind of commitment I've made. And some people pursue relationships and intimacy because they are desperate for approval. They are desperate to know they're okay and that someone likes them. All of these things are then taking a surface idol that we know is sin and we get to the, the, what's underneath it, the sin beneath the sin. And the thing is, if we only deal with life on the surface level and we never deal with the deep idols, those deep idols are just going to express themselves in different ways. And we, we talked about all this as we've worked through this. I don't know, any of you weed your flower beds or anything like that or weed your grass? I grew up doing that for hours on end. And, and now, um, praise God, I have kids. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, but what happens if you just yank the weed off of the surface? It grows back, right? It doesn't solve the problem. Well, it looks like it solves the problem for a week or two, but then it grows back. And sometimes in two or three different ways... You have to get the root, so they say. <laughs> yeah, you do. You have to get the root to get the weed gone. Otherwise, it just comes back. And so that's why we want to talk about deep idols. 
couple of other just things, and, and I'm, I'm hoping the next four weeks, a lot of the introductory things in the first two weeks are just going to make sense of why we covered them and why we brought them to light. Um, one of the things that we talked about a lot is a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes the ultimate thing, right? Most idols are perversions of something good that God has given us. We're going to find that with all of the deep idols. When we talk about power, we're going to talk about God actually instructed us to have dominion. He instructed, and it was a good gift to have dominion over his creation. It was a right gift, but we have perverted it and we have have somehow twisted it to be an idol. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. When it rises above God, when it rises to something we hold so dearly that we can't live without. Calvin stated it this way, the evil in our desire typically does not lie in what we want, but that we want it too much. And that that is something that we want to think through as we we process idols. And so just before we jump into talking about power, I want to help us sort of put a framework that we can categorize deep idols, understand deep idols. And, And some of you love charts, and you've been excited ever since you saw your sermon notes today. But one of the charts we have to try to understand how do these four interact with life is this chart of of understanding dominion and joy and satisfaction, how we pervert those things. And the areas of life are our relationships with people and then circumstances, activities, and things. And so people and things, dominion and satisfaction. Think of that grid. And and when we think about dominion, let's, let's start with dominion. I mentioned God has given that to us as a good gift. Um, One definition of dominion is a God-given mastery over creation. The ability to affect our surroundings in stewardship to God. Now, can you think of where that was given in in the Bible? Let's go back to Genesis 1, before the fall. Okay, so this is before the fall. This is a gift of God. In Genesis 1, I'm just going to do 28 and 29. You can explore this concept throughout Scripture. But 28 and 29, and God blessed them, Adam and Eve, And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And so right from the start, we see God gave Adam and Eve dominion. He said, I want you to manage this. Now, part of the definition is in stewardship to God. It's God-given, not man-grasped, and it's the ability to affect our surroundings in stewardship to God, not for what I want. Okay, So, so that's the correct way to think of dominion. But when we look at idols, Satan is always perverting and twisting something good. If it wasn't good to start with, I don't know that it would be that tempting, right? I mean, so, so he twists something good. And in this case, the categories that I mentioned there, and these are just trying to understand some of these deep idols. Two of the categories, power and control, come under this perversion of, of dominion. Perverting dominion into dominance. And there's a, a whole different category there. Or when dominion or dominance becomes my ultimate thing, that shows in everything we do, Right? Dominance over people, dominance over things. And so the, the first category there is dominion perverted. And when it's with people, we're going to call that power, what we're talking about today. 
when we're trying to control our circumstances and have everything just perfect so I don't have any problems in life. That's control. And so both are dominion perverted. The second column, we have joy and satisfaction, the things that we look to for our deepest needs, the things that we should be finding in Jesus because Jesus gave us things to enjoy on this earth, the common graces of this earth. But when we twist those, we start twisting those into self-worship. I want those for me. I want those in the way I want them. I must have them. They become ultimate. And when, when our, our search for joy and satisfaction becomes ultimate in our lives in the category of relationships, that means we're going to seek approval. We're going to crave approval. It's going to be one of the most important things in our life. And when we come to circumstances or things or activities, that's going to show itself as a, a search for comfort, uh, a search for pleasure, those experiences that make me happy. And if it makes you happy, it must be okay, is the common wording that, that we see in culture. And so that's just a quick run-through of a chart that I hope helps us understand where we're going with these four things. We compare dominion and satisfaction with relationships and circumstances, and we get this grid. Today, we're going to be in the top left corner of that. We're going to look at dominion perverted, something where it becomes too ultimate, something where we start craving it and twisting it, and it becomes something we lust after, and in the context of people and relationships. Now, one, one side thing I want to say, and I've said this before in this series, and I think it bears repeating today. Every one of us in this room has parts of all four of these deep in our hearts, if we're to be honest. Now, we, we usually will gravitate or run home to mama, is the saying, to one or two of them that will be major. But every one of us, if we're to be honest, in the deep recesses of our hearts, we struggle with all four of these. Because these are some of the ways that Satan gets in and gets his tentacles in and tries to corrupt our, our walking with God and tries to twist our life. And so what that means is, again, we want to be asking the Holy Spirit to reveal those parts of our heart. Because when we go deep in our hearts, we have so many defenses set up to try to keep ourselves from seeing that, that this could be hard. And one of those defenses is, picking other people that are sitting in the room that this really applies to. Picking other people in my family that this really applies to. Sending a link of the live stream to someone that missed today because this really applies to them. Mark my words, those are all defenses to try to keep us, keep us from letting the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And so that's just as, as we come into it, we start with the deep idol of power. And, and this is, on all of these, we can think, oh, I sort of know what that means. But what I want to do is define it each week. Look at the holes that it's trying to fill in our lives. Some of the ways that it shows itself. <coughs> Look at a biblical example. And then on the back of your notes, you see a chart. And each of the four deep idols, we're going we're gonna to go through that grid and just try to understand it. Try to chew on it a little bit. And in the end, say, okay, how do we let Jesus replace this? How does the gospel answer this instead of me trying to answer it through power? And so we start with power. Power I would define as a longing for influence, recognition, superiority, and achievement. 
The more I looked at examples and verses on power and studied this, it's a pretty big topic. And I, and I guess all four of these are, if all other sins flow from them. A longing for influence. And influence is, is the idea of... I want to know that my actions, the things I say, produce effects on the actions of others, the behavior of others, the opinions of others. So I want to be able to change the opinions and actions of others And usually this stems of, because I think I'm better, I think I'm right. Okay, so influence is a desire to to change someone. A desire to control, but we're going to use control in a different way in a couple weeks. A A desire to control others. The second part of that definition, recognition. Recognition is the acknowledgement of an achievement, of a service, a merit, etc. And recognition is part of this because as we get recognition, we feel successful. We feel status. We feel prestige. And when we start to crave that, when that starts to filter things, we know we're struggling with the deep idol of power. Because we're looking to boost our, our sense of self. We're looking to feel better about ourselves, to raise ourselves higher. But as we sang this morning, there is no one higher but our God. And and that's going to be the answer that's going to keep coming up. So influence, recognition, superiority is with that, feeling better than others. The, The idea of power almost always has this sense of I'm right. I know best. And if you only did it my way, the world would be a better place. The final aspect of power is that of achievement feeling like I've accomplished something, especially by my superior ability, special effort, great courage. But it's attaining or accomplishing. It's winning or maybe not losing. And so when, when power is one of our idols, we crave winning. We, we despair when we lose. And we're going to talk about that, how that comes out in our emotions. But power is about achieving, about the status that comes with that, about feeling accomplished. And so all of those things are wrapped up into this deep idol of power. Now, is power in and of itself, the ability to influence people, for instance, is that wrong? No, if done in a biblical way, if done in a right way, it's called leadership, right? We've talked about leadership as as essentially defined by influence. But when it becomes ultimate in our lives, when it takes a greater importance than loving others, than caring about others, than goals that are God's goals and not my goals, then when it takes a greater importance than servanthood, it is now an idol. Achievement is great. God wants us to do all things for his glory. We want to do things with excellence. It kills me when we don't do things with excellence. But why? How important is that to us? When it becomes ultimate, it becomes a bad thing. And so Satan takes power and takes dominion, this aspect of dominion, and twists it. Maybe we, as we're thinking through, do I have this? If we think of the phrase, life only has meaning or I only have worth if I have power and influence over others, if I have success, then those are the deep recesses of our hearts we need to examine. Now, as we think about each idol, each idol is trying to replace God with something. So idols are a replacement of God, a God substitute. So what does the idol of power, what is it trying to replace? What hole is it trying to fill in our lives? And there's a couple things that I I think we'd have to talk about with power. 
um, it, it fills this hole of personal identity. I want a personal identity as valuable as successful. Um, because we're made in the image of God, that's where our identity should come from, but we pervert it to try to find the value of that identity in our accomplishments with this one. It's a desire for success. And, and so one of the ways it gains identity is in a, a fierce competition. Now, now, competition and challenge, again, is not bad. It can be a powerful motivator, especially in the lives of men and young men. But can competition become ultimate? So we play softball, hopefully, again, someday. Um, I think we're playing this summer. I, I think they're opening it back up. And, and you see competition work itself out. Now, we're all pretty competitive, and that motivates us to do our best, and it's a lot of fun. Can competition become ultimate? Can it get too high? Think about what that looks like out on the field or in the court. That's the person that is raging, that is angry. So competition now has become an idol, and it's rooted in the idol of power. I am not succeeding. And so we're, it, it's challenging our personal identity. Some of the other holes that, that the idol of power attempts to fill. Um, I want my way. If we, if we each look at the deep recesses of our hearts, we all want our way. That's the, the, that's the summary of the sin, sinful man, the sin nature. And we fill that hole with power because now I have the influence and I have the ability to get my way. It fills a hole of, of I think, an ungodly hole of wanting to feel superior. And we're okay with ourselves and we're okay with our own inadequacies if I can feel superior to others and point out their inadequacies. And this is one of the reasons why winning can be so ultimate because if I don't win, I'm confronted with the fact that maybe I'm not okay and maybe someone's better than me. This is where recognition comes in as opposed to affirmation, which we'll deal with in approval, but recognition just strives that someone needs to notice because it's part of who I am. And we're trying to find our identity there. All of these, I would argue, go back to pride. Pride in ourselves. If I just had enough power, I could have everything I want. That's pride. We've replaced God with ourselves. And so when those things, when those holes we're trying to fill, right or wrong, when those are threatened, now we have strong emotions when we can't achieve or when we can't win or when we can't influence or when we don't get recognition. Those emotions come on so strong because we're fighting the issue of power. Biblical example that that I'd like to use, and this is going to be familiar to us. We just studied him last year. But he is by far, I think, the best biblical example for this. So we're going there again. And, and that's not bad. But King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember our buddy there? We, first four chapters of Daniel, the Nebuchadnezzar Chronicles we talked about. As God stepped him through his issues with pride and really a deep idol of power. He might have had more than just power. But, but definitely power was one of the main ones, right? If you think about Daniel chapter 2 and and and. We will be in Daniel 4 more specifically, but in Daniel chapter 2, he's just had this dream explained where he's the head of gold, right? And he runs with it in Daniel chapter 2. And he sets up, he sets up an idol and, you know, ah, I'm, I'm not only the head, the whole idol is him, right? Made of gold. 
and he wants all of his leaders, he wants everyone to come and worship this idol of him. This is an issue of power. This is an issue of significance for him. In fact, it's very telling that he brings all the leaders in to do that. What is he doing? We talked about this. All the le- he's looking for an oath of allegiance, really. He's testing loyalty. And when we are knee-deep in the, power, in the idol of power, man, we are paranoid that we're going to lose it, that someone's going to take it. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is ensuring that there is allegiance. He's giving in to his paranoia. Then we jump to chapter 4, which is sort of the, the end of the story, the final ultimate story. And turn with me to Daniel chapter 4, because we want to look at several verses there. Daniel chapter 4. And if you remember, this is the story where King Nebuchadnezzar basically deals with pride and deals with this idol of power. And, and he has a dream again. And in this dream, Daniel comes and says, this dream means you're going to be turned into a cow or a beast of the field for seven years until you can acknowledge who God is. And so that's the story we have in Daniel 4. But I want to jump to a couple verses and show how it ties into the deep idol of power. Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 22. It is you, O king. So Daniel here is talking. He's giving the interpretation of the dream. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And so you see power tied with dominion here. You're strong. You have power. You are great. You have dominion to the ends of the earth, or rule might be another way to define that. And so, so far, the king's like, cool, I like this, that's me. And this is where God said King Nebuchadnezzar was at. He was craving and made ultimate his idol of power, dominion, authority. And then in verse 24, jump to there. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High. And, and, and I want you to catch different language in here because every, every phrase has something about power and trying to show the king who actually has power. It is a decree of the Most High. So that's, a, that's an issue of priority and deals with the idol of power. Which has come upon my Lord the King. That you shall be driven. Someone else will have influence on you. You shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling will be among the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Again, influence that that someone will have power over you. And you shall be wet with the dew of heavens and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. This is all about power. And, And King Nebuchadnezzar needed to find out the Most High rules and has dominion, not him. But he was so full of himself, he had made power and authority and having, having all of this in his kingdom the ultimate in his life. And it became the ultimate of who he thought he was, we're going to see. But it failed him because idols always fail eventually. They can give temporary power like He-Man, but they always fail eventually. Verse 26. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. 
the whole purpose of God driving King Nebuchadnezzar into the fields, of of making him like a, a cow or an ox, eating grass, losing his mind for seven years, the whole issue is God is going to humiliate him to the point of confronting his idol of power. I'm going to take all power from you. I can't think of something more humiliating than becoming a cow out in a field for seven years. Because that is how you address the root of power. But it's until you know that heaven rules, until you get this idol in line, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. That's one of the answers we'll cover. By practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. And we see in this Daniel's plea to King Nebuchadnezzar who somehow through all these years he kept a good relationship with. That's amazing. And he's like, you've got to get it. You've got to understand that your power is given by God. It's his, ultimately, and you just have a little bit that he's given you, and it's because of the grace of God. You haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. Nothing in you has done this. This is God that has given you all that ability. And, I, and we see even from the righteousness and the mercy, and those, that's tied into justice, saying if you would just if you would just relax and let God be the God of power, let Him be the one that we trust and rely on to make things right, you could show grace to others. You could act in a truly righteous way to others rather than using them. If you would just humble yourself before God. But then, as, as you know from a year ago when we studied it, verse 29, it's not what happened. God in His mercy and grace gave Him 12 months though. And don't miss God's mercy throughout the Old Testament. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he being Nebuchadnezzar. And the king answered and said, and he's looking out. Keep in mind, he has built some incredible things. Some of the ancient wonders of the world were in Babylon. And he says in verse 30, Is not this great Babylon, again, achievement, power, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Now we see pride all through that, but, but don't miss that we see power all through that and the idol of power. In fact, the idol of power and pride are bedfellows. They link arm in arm. They're almost always together. Great Babylon that I have built by my mighty power, in case we're wondering, how are you getting that this is an idol of power? It says it. By my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Yes, he's full of himself, but this is about achievement, about finding significance in achievement. This is ultimate for him. We know it's ultimate because that's what he daydreams about as he's looking over his kingdom. Remember we talked about that's one of the questions to know what your idols are. It's what he thinks about. He's sitting there and he's not like, oh, look at these people I care about. You know, this is amazing. He's like, yeah, look what I've done with my power. And that's an idol. We know what happened after that. If you read on, we know that God immediately, as the words were on his mouth, so it wasn't even let's wait and see, as the words were on his mouth. In verse 31, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, 
to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And boom, he's to the fields. He's lost his mind. Nails growing out, hairs growing out. He's eating grass. And we're not talking super foods. He's just eating grass. And his power is where? Gone. His power is stripped of him. Because God is dealing with his deepest idol. The thing that he holds dearly. Now as we, as we think about deep idols, we do want to think about, okay, how are these linked to surface idols? For him, that came out in how he ruled. How he, he really domineered over people and, and used people and didn't care about people. Everything was about him. It came out in his paranoia. And, and the ways that he responded to that. For us, as we, as we deal with the power, the, the idol of power and achievement and success and influence and craving that, it, it can come out in all kinds of different ways. Consider maybe the idol of work, okay? And if, if power is your deep idol and your surface idol is work, you go into work tomorrow and they say, you know what? You are doing a great job. You get a promotion and a $20,000 a year raise. Okay? It's a good day, right? Is that a bad thing, by the way? No, but when it becomes the ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. No, everyone's like, tomorrow's going to be great. <laughs> Let's go to work. Um, but someone with a deep idol of power, that now represents something else. It represents winning because now I have a higher title and more money than someone else in my, competi- in, in my workplace. The fact that this is a, an idol that many people struggle with is why HR departments never give out salary lists in a, in a company. That is devastating to a company. Because we want to win. We, 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 we bow to the power idol. We want to earn more. But also, a promotion and a bigger salary means higher status. It means more prestige. It means more recognition for what I can do because I'm better than everyone else. Now, different, different deep idols will take that same activity in different ways, an idol of work. For instance, if you have the idol of control, then that same raise, that same promotion will be, now I can save more and my IRA is going to be better and I'm set for life. I'm not going to have any problems when I retire. So different root idol but same surface idol. And, and, and again, we've got to get to the roots and see how does this affect things. You know, when we think of family as a surface idol, when we are struggling with a deep idol of, of power, it's going to come out in, in, in a lot of unhealthy ways in family. You know, dads, you're supposed to lead well as a servant. You're supposed to lead in a way that is God-honoring, not to get what you want, but to accomplish what God wants in your family. And when we lead out of dominance, we drive our families to the brink of disaster. When it has to be what I want, when it has to be my way. Parents with teens, when we start to want to control every aspect, when we start to, to want to make sure they do everything the way we would do them, we're probably struggling with the idol of power. And we're destroying our families. We can often see where the idol of power shows itself in families by where anger shows up. Because anger, as we're going to talk about, is the deep emotion that's most often tied to the idol of power. 
And so we've got to think both surface idols and root idols because until we deal with the root idols, we're not going to deal with the things that actually help and actually solve those surface idols. And so turning to the chart on the the back of your page, and there's a number of categories there. Today I'll explain them more, and then in, in future weeks we'll use the same categories. First category is what can the idol of local uh, what why why is it hard to recognize the idol power the power idol if I can talk today um, how does it present itself to hide itself to masquerade again these are all perversions of good things these are all twisting of good things and 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 those good things when twisted become idols they become ultimate things and so each of these masquerades as good qualities. Power, for instance, the reason we don't always recognize it is because it often masquerades as confidence, as someone that is just sure of themselves, that's confident of themselves. Now, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying confidence is wrong. I'm saying the idol of power can look like confidence if, unless we go deeper. And so, because an idol of power portrays an image of, I am strong, I am sufficient, I can achieve. I'm a high achiever, often at all costs. Culture values this. Culture values type A leaders, but almost all type A leaders struggle with the idol of power. I don't know that I've seen a case yet where that hasn't been the case. And and I'm not saying type A is wrong, but we have to be aware that that goes with a struggle for power. And it, it comes with understanding the deeper issues that we're struggling with. And so sometimes it goes unrecognized because it looks like confidence. Second category on your chart is, okay, what price will we pay to serve this God? What will we compromise? What will we give up to fulfill the need that this idol is trying to fulfill in our lives? When it comes to power, those worshiping power are often willing to bear enormous burdens and responsibilities to get their lust fulfilled. And I don't mean lust sexually there, but a lust for power, a craving, a desire for power. Another price that we'll pay is also people serving at the God of power will often bear enormous fear, fear of losing power, fear of being challenged. Someone with an idol of power hates being challenged, which comes to our next category. What is the worst fear of this idol? The worst fear of this idol or the the nightmare of this idol is humiliation. Which I think is why God humiliated King Nebuchadnezzar. Because that was his worst fear and that was how the axe was going to be laid to the tree. The roots were going to be dug up of the idol in his life. See, when, when my idol is power, it's about prestige. It's about influence. It's about the status of all that. And humiliation takes away all of those things. It attacks all of those things. If I'm humiliated, I have less influence, I think. If I'm humiliated, I have less prestige. I, I, am, I have less achievement for sure. And so some of how this comes out is when, when, when power is our idol, it is really hard to admit failure. It is really hard to say words like, I was r- r- wrong. That's bowing at the idol of power because it's attacking our sense of self. It's hard to admit failure. In fact, depression or anger often comes in when there's failure. Because remember, as our idols are torn from us, emotions come out. 
I don't know if you guys remember Bernie Madoff. He was sentenced to, 100, sentenced to 150 years in prison for running a $65 billion Ponzi scheme. 150 years is a long time. He publicly blamed his pride. Sometime in the past, he said, he faced a year in which he should have reported significant losses, but he could not admit his failures as a money manager. He was bowing at the power idol. He could not accept the loss of power and reputation that such an admission would bring. And so he began to hide his weaknesses through this Ponzi scheme and somehow take money from these people to pay the, the investment of these people, but there wasn't money for their investment. And um, you can go look up the case. And he couldn't admit his error in judgment. And the scheme kept growing, and he still couldn't admit it, and it sort of took on a life of its own. And he was always thinking it'll work its way out. It'll be okay. And the, the idol of power destroyed his life and he is still in prison thinking about that. Because he couldn't admit failure. And so he began, because it was an idol, it was his ultimate thing. So you start compromising. You start, you start doing whatever it takes to support this idol, to support your image, to support your power, because nothing can threaten it. And so the worst fear is nightmare, or the worst fear or nightmare is humiliation or failure. And so out of that, what's the biggest emotion we can have? And, and, and by the way, I think we see that fear in Nebuchadnezzar. Both that God humiliated him with the calls for allegiance and loyalty. I think he's just trying to grasp and hold on to power as much as he can. The biggest problem emotion, how it affects us, is anger and frustration. Anger and frustration. Anger when challenged, I'm right. Anger when our position of power is threatened, I don't want to use, lose that. Remember, remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Let's say, again, he's a great example of this. What happened when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego challenged him? They said, do what you want. Now, this was, this was an attack on his power. Do what you want. It's not going to change us. We are still going to serve God. So he, they basically said, you have no power over us. You have no influence. Okay? What was Nebuchadnezzar's response? Incredible anger. We're talking stoke that puppy up seven times or symbolism for as hot as it can get. His own men are dying at the face of the furnace because he's angry that his power was challenged. And, and it cost people their lives. The, the rubble was horrid. Hopefully we're not to that degree. Hopefully we're not burning people or throwing people in a furnace. But do we ever get angry at losing? Do we get, ever get angry when our opinions are threatened or frustrated? One author wrote, all is well with power worshipers as long as they are winning. <laughs> but losing exposes their deep insecurity. And often that anger when we lose and, and, and we start to direct all of our anger at other people and, well, other people, it's their fault for this and they did this because we can't admit defeat. But oftentimes that can be accompanied them or escalate into verbal and physical abuse. And most of the time, verbal and physical abuse is an attempt to regain power because power has been threatened. So when we talk to, when, when, when we counsel even people that are struggling with abuse, yes, they need to stop. 
Yes, someone under that needs to get out of that situation right away. But ultimately, the abuser has to deal with their deep idol of power or it will come back. It will not be handled. How do others feel around someone with a deep idol of power? How does it affect others? They usually feel used, manipulated, and handled. Because someone with power has now elevated their prestige, their achievement above other people. And so they're willing to use people. They're willing to do whatever it takes to gain influence. They don't mind being unpopular to gain influence. They don't mind compromising to gain influence. Because, hey, the ends justify the means. I might need to lie a little bit to get that position, but, hey, the ends justifies the means. And so those close to somebody with a power idol not only feel used, but often undervalued, exhausted by the constant cycle of winning and losing. And am I, and I up because I feel like I've achieved something or am I down in despair because I'm not achieving? These people are hard to be around. They tend to be domineering, argumentative, aggressive, and struggle with compassion because the achievement is more important than the person. Some other signs. I don't think I have this in your chart, but each week there's often some other signs that come out in study. Um, Other signs that you're struggling with power. And again, we all struggle with every one of these in different areas of our lives. But other signs are a critical spirit. Because where does a critical spirit come from? I'm right, you're wrong, and God has blessed you with me in your life to let you know. I'm right and you're wrong and we say that to God because ultimately an idol is replacing God and the idol of power attempts to replace God's power in our lives because we think we can do it better. None of us in this room would say that. I think I can do it better than God. Most of us live like that sometimes because we aren't confronting ourselves with the power of uh, the idol of power. Other signs include grasping at power and paranoia. We saw that with Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Insecurity. I think we see that with Nebuchadnezzar as well. Constantly needing to prove self to others. So we come to the final section. I wanted to make sure we left ourselves time for this section. How do we replace this idol? What are the biblical truths that this idol counterfeits? Because then by focusing on those gospel realities, by focusing on those biblical truths, that's how we counter it. Remember what we talked about last week? Idols can't be just destroyed in our lives. They have to be replaced. We are made to be worshipers. From creation, we are made to be worshipers. We will worship something. And so if we're to defeat idols, we have to replace it, not just say, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's like a little kid. A lot of you who have little kids or had little kids, picture your, your child with their favorite toy, right? They walk around with that puppy and they will never let that go. They, you, I, I've tried to take it away. You know, sometimes you just take it away by force. Oh man, there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and, and it's, 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 it's the worst thing ever. What's the best way to get that object out of that child's hand? Look at this. <laughs> And, and I'm not saying that's, that's great parenting skills. <laughs> I'm making a, a comment on human nature here, okay? <laughs> 
human nature, when we replace it with something we adore more, with something that is more beautiful, we grasp onto that. And the answers for idolatry is, do we adore Jesus more? Do we understand the gospel realities more? Has that impacted us more? Are we blown away by who God is enough to turn our eyes to Him and get our eyes off the junk in this world and the junk in our lives and the idols in our lives? See, idols only, they they never deliver. They always are counterfeit. But what are they counterfeit of? They're counterfeit of something beautiful that God wants to give us. See, our idols promise what can only be found through God's grace. And and you you can pursue a deep idol of power all day and all year and all your life. It will not satisfy. I can guarantee that. And you will chase it the rest of your life. And so, so, so how does this work? You know, when, when I think of even, even idols and, and counterfeit, um, in my desk drawer I have a counterfeit $20 bill. Um, just printed it. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> from the fireworks stand. And if I took that, that counterfeit $20 bill and I said, you know what? I want you to have a good lunch with your family today. You are, in fact, I want to pay for it for you. Okay? And I give you that counterfeit $20 bill. At that moment, you are happy. At that moment, Pastor Ron's the greatest pastor of any church you've ever been to. He gave me 20 bucks for lunch. Then you get to Chipotle. Okay, Chipotle, it's only one of you. Uh, (laughs) Then you get to Del Taco. And you pay with the $20... And they call you in and they arrest you. Now how do you feel about Pastor Ron? <laughs> He's a jerk. That is a picture of what idols do. They, they overpromise and underdeliver. They counterfeit something real. In Daniel 4, I hope you're still there. Look at verse 27. So Daniel gives the answer here to, to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's dealing, God is dealing with the idol of power. In fact, he gave him a whole dream to try to deal with his pride and the idol of power. And in 27, Daniel says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by what? Practicing righteousness. And your iniquities by showing mercy, which deals with how power deals with people and and the lack of compassion and, and the I'm right, by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. And, and, and the word to King Nebuchadnezzar is stop using people. Stop using people for your power. Act in a righteous and merciful way, and you don't get to decide what that is. Act like God is right, and you are not. Whereas King Nebuchadnezzar was, I'm right, I'm going to do this my way, which is, which is just a hallmark of power. See, power says, if I have the power, I can act however I want, and it's right. Power is tied with rightness, or in this case, righteousness. On a bigger picture, when I think of the gospel, when I think of salvation, power says I can achieve. I can earn my own way. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. 
none of that works for the gospel. No one in this room can ever be good enough for salvation. No one in this room can ever earn their way into heaven and presence with God for all eternity. We are not capable of it. But yet the idol of power says, keep trying, keep trying. If you just go to church enough, if you just do the right things enough, if you just support these causes enough, keep trying. And the gospel answer is, you can't. Stop trying. You don't have power, but God does. But Jesus on the cross showed ultimate power because he defeated sin. He defeated all the sin you and I can't defeat. He defeated death three days later. And no one in this room has done that. We want to talk about power? That's ultimate power that every time we dive into these ways of doing it ourselves, we are a substitute for the God of the universe who has died on the cross and defeated death and saved us. Oh, the answer is to replace our thirst for power with a focus on his. See, the, the, the two biblical truths that I think the, the idol of power counterfeits, one is righteousness found in Jesus, rightness. We think we're right, God is wrong. Nebuchadnezzar needed to be, he could have been more secure if he was humble and righteous, Daniel said. And I think the other gospel reality, the other biblical truth that the idol of power counterfeits is, is the idea that God is ultimate, that God is omnipotent. I think it's a theological statement that God proves his ultimate power even over sin and death, and he is unlimited. But all of us, what we're doing whenever we go to, whenever we, we run home to the idol of power, whenever we lean into that, we are saying we are ultimate, that we are unlimited, that we have the power. It is pretending to be God. When I have a critical spirit, when I think I'm right, I am pretending to be God. And we need to word it that seriously. If we're to get to the depths of this and we're going to to get to solving this. And so we need to replace this idol by dealing with those two things, righteousness and power, omnipotence. And the way we do that is we start to see Christ as more attractive. And that's why I just went through the gospel that God, that through Jesus has dealt with our sin. He has conquered death, things we can't do. The more we reflect on the beauty of that, the more we just are amazed that God would do that for us, the less we cling to our own power. Because the more we realize I've got none. Every little bit of power I have is simply given to me as a steward from God. And it's because of his grace, because I don't deserve it. That's how we begin to replace this idol. Of realizing that God is right and just and his ways are beautiful and he's worked it all out and that he's omnipotent. And so if if power is one of your idols you struggle with, this week, every day, I would read passages on the grandeur of God. Read passages on the greatness of God. Chew on it. Love it. Be amazed by it. See the beauty of who God is. We need to replace, replace this idol with a focus on the beauty of God's power overall 
and especially in your sin and in your death. Thinking back to Nebuchadnezzar and showing that, yeah, he didn't understand when Daniel said, you need to pursue righteousness, God's righteousness. You need to stop thinking you're right. Look at the bookends of that chapter, starting with the beginning of the chapter, verse 2 and 3. And, and this is Daniel recording what King Nebuchadnezzar said later. This is the lesson he learned. Listen to this. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion, there's that, that word again as part of this, his dominion endures from generation to generation. See, God humbled him and his idol of power was, re- was replaced by a focus on God's power, on God's rule. We see it, that again at the end of that chapter. If we jump down to 34 and 35, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. He's even acknowledging, I don't even have the power to change God and to, to stay his hand. No one can say to him, what have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor, verse 37, the the king of heaven. For all his works are right. We come back to righteousness. He is right. I am wrong. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. What a story about the power idol and how we deal with it, how we get rid of it. Today, just stop for a moment and think, where do you get most angry? What frustrates you most? And ask, is this part of a a power idol? Is this part of substituting myself for God, thinking I have power and he doesn't? We hate feeling powerless, but that's exactly, I think, where God wants us in a way. Because when we are powerless, we finally rely on his power and acknowledging that he is the God of power. I am not the God of power. So where do you get angry? Where do you crave influence? Do you use people? What kind of relationships do you have? These are things and questions that will get to the heart of a really deep idol that affects so much and affects every one of the relationships we have. I'd like to bow our heads for just a moment and just let the Holy Spirit work while worship team comes up because we're going to end by replacing. We're going to end by, by proclaiming how great God is. But bow your heads for a moment. Say, Holy Spirit, if there are niches in my heart where I am holding on to power, please reveal them today. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of understanding. Just take a moment.
Amen.